Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More than money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmel. my co-host here, Dave Popwich. How are you doing, buddy? I'm great. How about you? Uh, I am good. Yep. Friday could have been better. Man, that shocked the market. You did shock the market. There's a bunch of stuff that shocked the market. We've had a lot of volatility lately. Yeah. Um, we definitely want to talk about that and, um, you know, how to, how to both profit and protect through this, right? Uh, this kind of volatility happens all the time. You can't panic. You've got to tighten up your seatbelt a little bit. The roads mm-hmm. get bumpy, but then you've got to look for opportunity. What's the relative trade? Uh, let's talk about who's on our show and then get right into what's happening and what's, how's it going to impact people's yeah. uh, portfolios and their retirement. We've got a great show today. We do have um, a multi-asset manager coming on, on the show today, talking about different ways to invest, different ways to profit and protect, um, unconventional. And Most, pretty timely given all the volatility. Absolutely. So that's right. really it's going to be a really interesting conversation with him about how you can make money or protect yourself in these types of times. So yep. that's going to be interesting. We really want to talk to all of you about what's happening in the economy, in the markets, and with this, uh, with this new change that we're hearing about the Delta variant and the variant itself of the new mutations that we're seeing on COVID. Um, we, have, we have heard uh, of a lot of concerns of not only investors, but people as they go through this big change. We are seeing governments react through this new variant. We are seeing governments react because of the Delta variant and how things are going. Countries in Europe and in in other parts of the world being either shut down or limiting uh, travel. Mm -hmm. This is going to start to spook the markets even more. The growth concept of things are getting better um, now has a pause in here. And when we look at both of our different disciplines, Dave, in this, we find that... um, there are two ways to look at this, at least two ways to look at this in, in the market. If you're looking at your accounts on a day-to-day basis or mm-hmm. a week-to-week basis online, you may come into a bit of a surprise. And so I look at this from a growth perspective of, hey, it's Black Friday that we had. Yeah. Things go a little bit cheaper on Black Friday. Mm-hmm. Some discounts. I've got my shopping list. I've got my shopping cart. Now it's time to go pick up some of those goods. So that's that's one way that I look at this. Um, I'm not trying to minimize what's happening in the world with all this variant and and the new information that's coming on board. But I can tell you from the information I have read so far that by the time these experts in the science and health sciences world understand what this variant does to when it actually can get some sort of of um, pattern or charting of it to when there's some sort of program in place, regardless of what program it is, it's around 120 days. So for the next four months, we're going to hear about this. Mm -hmm. And so as a portfolio manager who sees this type of emotional volatility, that things can get priced extremely in a matter of 24 hours. Correct. When you see the price of oil plummet, when you see gold go up, when you see alternative investments like cryptocurrency hit a bear market, when you start to see stocks roll over, when you see people running to the bond market and doing all these different things happening on a shortened day on a Friday. I was going to suggest, I was going to remind everybody of that, right? This We don't know if this is an accurate reflection given that 
American markets are closed at 11 o'clock our time on Friday, right? So we'll have, to, we'll have to give it a little bit of time to digest in, right? And as you said, it's going to take four months for them to accurately determine, right? They've got to, does the vaccine work? That's really the question. Does the vaccine still protect us against these mutations? Correct, which, which is why you're going to see a lot of the healthcare industry work on this, yeah. the testing and so forth going out on this. There's a lot of information that needs to be understood still. So in early points in, the, uh, in, in this situation, what do we do as money managers? Number one, we've always looked at protecting, which we have. When you look at the portfolio that we manage and you look at how the, when the markets fall the way they do, we don't fall like that, okay? So that's number one. Number two, for those who are earning or needing cash flow or income. Absolutely. I think, Dave, you should kind of give some, some information on people of why we have an income bucket and not put everything in a growth strategy just to receive income, why we don't rely on dividends, why we don't rely on, yeah. on different things on like assets. that. To, to do that. Maybe give them a real yeah. quick refresher of that and we can go from there. So we talk about our structure and discipline and we talk about four buckets, right? An income bucket and a growth bucket. We spent a lot of time talking about the growth bucket, but the income bucket is designed to protect against just this event, right? Where you get risk assets, you know, wildly falling on any given day. Um, when you have an income bucket and we're invested in, in cash bonds and fixed income, sometimes you go, hey, boy, those returns haven't been that good this year. But on you know, on days like where you see volatility on Friday and so on and so forth, think about what, what Faisal just said earlier. People are rushing out of risk assets and they're buying bonds. They're bidding up the price of bonds. Your income bucket is being protected and perhaps even growing through that particular period of time. And it's that structure and discipline, Faisal, we talk about it all the time. What we can't have is in the short term, people's ability to fund their lifestyle negatively affected. Think about, think about what happens if you have been relying on dividends to pay for your cash flow in retirement right now. We've seen a pullback last year during the pandemic, you know, uh, February, March, April, holy cow. Yeah. Okay. You're seeing volatility in points. September wasn't good. Parts of November, not good. You know, you're seeing these pullbacks. Can you imagine if you needed more money in that month or in that year when markets are down, but you're living off the dividends. Right. It is so hard for people to say, you know what, I'm trying to cut my lifestyle because the market's down. Right. And they and, shouldn't. You shouldn't. And what do kind that. of experience yeah, is that, that anyways? Exactly. Right. So having a proper structure in the income bucket, you've done a great job in ours. I think it's been fantastic, all things considering in regards to what's happening in the world. Sure, we all want double digit returns. But are you willing to take double-digit risk for that? Yeah, not in the income bucket, right? right. Not in the income bucket. And, and let's remind everybody, the income bucket's designed to shelter for a period of time. Remember, you said it could take um, 120 days to get a handle on what these new mutations mean and whether the, uh, you know, the uh, vaccinations that we currently have in place will, will, um, will be effective. Um, that's actually a relatively short period of time still, right? Yeah. Remember, when we talk in a perfect world about it, an income bucket, we talk in terms of 10 years. Yeah. Right? So we don't want anybody to, ha to have to cut their lifestyle yeah. because markets for this period of time or you know, last, last year or whatever the problem is going to be in the future changes. And so structure, discipline, the four buckets, proper positioning, yeah. all are important. Now, when we hit volatility, here's what people think. Emotionally, it's scary. Yeah. get it. I get it for everybody. But just like in 2020, opportunities present themselves. Right? You get pricing distortions, mistakes being made. 
we don't know what day those are made, but we look for those trends, right? Yeah. And so I think that's, you know, this is when we get to go to work and we get to, to, to pull out the research and we get to look at the Friday was very interesting for us because the amount of time we spent together um, looking at every single corner of this of the market on op- for opportunity, yeah. double-checking our, I call it a Christmas list, I'll call it a Black Friday list, yeah. right? Like, I was hoping to buy during the, the Santa Claus rally of, yeah. you know, the unloved toys, yeah. but this time it looks like it's Black Friday. So um, I know I'm going to be very busy next week, uh, you know, not only just buying, but looking at ways to profit and protect. Uh, we've made some a lot of moves throughout the last three months. Yeah to seize profit, mitigate risk, so forth. We saw volatility coming. We've talked about this many times, and volatility is here. We didn't know it was going to be a mutation. No. But we know that there's going to be volatility. I think there's going to be more volatility coming, which I love, which gives me opportunity. So what does an individual who's looking at their portfolio and, and know that there's structure and discipline behind it, that's the first thing, is to look back and say, Okay, if this is what's happening now, A, what is the manager going to do about it? Right. Is it, are they going to just sit back and let it wa- and watch it? Then you have to go through the entire cycle, however long that may be. If they're active managers, how are they acting? What's their thesis? <laughs> and our thesis on this, in this situation is we are in a recovery mode. It's just not going to be straight up. Yeah. Can I also talk about perspective? Because uh, I, want, I want you to, to comment on this. Perspective... Um, is important. Um, if it's a, a 2% pullback, as an example, versus 10, we haven't even had a 10% this year, right? And so people need to, to keep in perspective and keep their wits about them. This is the discipline you speak about, right? And not overreact to things as yeah. well. You're going to hear more about this in the media than you're going to see in your portfolio if you've got a five-pillar investment right. strategy approach. Yeah, you right? got it. So that's where the key thing is come. So take, a, take away from this for any of any of the people who are who are invested in a strategy that has uh, a structure, a discipline that's designed to profit and protect through every market condition, take a step back. And if you're concerned, reach out to your advisor, talk to them, find out what your concerns are, comparisons to what they're thinking, and do they match? And if you feel differently, then there's a chance to look back and say, let's make some adjustments if necessary. Um, you know, Faisal, there's lots of different ways to participate in the market. This week, we've seen lots of volatilities, tons of uncertainty. <laughs> what asset classes should you own? What should you not own, right? This is the perfect market to try to understand sort of multi-asset class approaches and how to mitigate risk and all of these different kinds of things. And, and so multi-asset class investments, um, we'll call them an alternative investment. Mm-hmm. Because the conventional way of investing is either just in stocks, just in bonds, cash. Those are pretty much the simple ways of investing, and you're hoping for everything to go up. When we look at multi-assets, we look at an alternative way of investing to lower volatility or give us access to a market that we don't have access to using conventional means. Right. And so this is a time where we want to refresh people's memory on this type of investment. But let's talk about how the program has been going and what have been the opportunities and what surprises multi-asset managers in a market like this. Yeah, and so how, how has it performed and what you know? What, how were you setting up? What did you expect? What's happened? All of those things are great questions. We've got Michael Sager, who's a regular recurring guest with us. He's the Vice President of Multi-Asset and Currency at CIBC Asset Management. Michael, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, very pleased to be here. So let's let's just talk a little bit about the uh, the multi asset absolute return strategy. Maybe we could just start there with 
the idea of this, uh, this particular strategy that you're one of the brain children for uh, and one of the lead portfolio managers, talk to us about what, what this idea of a multi-asset absolute return strategy actually is. Yeah, well, the, the key thing is that it, it has much more opportunity either to add value or to protect, you know, in periods of volatility like you guys were talking about. Sometimes you need to play defense. Well, that's easier to do in a, a multi-asset strategy because lots more asset classes to invest in. Um, equities and bonds like a traditional portfolio, but commodities and currencies, we can take volatility positions if we want to. Um, we can go long, but we can also go short. And that's a useful capability when markets are very volatile, when, uh, when markets are selling off. So it, it's that breadth of opportunity to really exploit the uh, the the most rewarding theme at any one time. I think I think that's where a multi-asset strategy really comes in, and it's very different to a traditional long-only solution. Right. So, Michael, let's let's chalk up how this year has gone. Um, markets have done some some really great numbers again this year. When we speak about equity markets. Yeah. When we look at fixed income, surprising to many that we've seen as much of a drop, almost double-digit drop in, in prices of fixed income. Um, we're, we're seeing a bit of a change happening as we speak. Friday was crazy uh, in the markets from what's going on. From a multi-asset management perspective, how, how did you look at this year starting? And then give us an idea of where you see things. Are they different than than what you saw at the beginning, comparisons to how you see them now? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So, you know, we started off the year expecting um, growth to be fine, and I, I think that's broadly been the case, um, but an acceleration in inflation. Um, and if we look back in the rearview mirror, I think that acceleration in inflation has been uh, stronger than expected. You know for uh, across the board i think people have been ex surprised by how much inflation we've seen in the markets um so i think those have been the the two key macro themes what was growth going to do broadly fine and and that's been the case what was inflation going to do and i think we've been surprised along with everybody else on the upside and then those macro uh perspectives you know, interplay with uh, the views on asset markets. And broadly at the start of this market, we thought equities were increasingly expensive. And I think that theme has just been uh, uh, confirmed further, uh, given the performance of equities through the, the year. But the other interesting theme that now is beginning to develop is that from a multi-asset perspective, uh, bonds are becoming much more interesting, bonds in the developed markets. So when we look at the risk-adjusted return um, that we expect from developed market bonds over the next 6 to 12 months, it's very comparable to equities. Uh, that's not been something we've talked about for a couple of years now. So let's kind of break down that a bit more because I think 
when you say bonds uh, seem as attractive as stocks, I'm sure many people watching or listening to this are saying, bonds are going to do 20% returns. Is that what we're expecting? So kind of drill down on that a bit more, Michael, for us, because I think we got to kind of explain to our audience what, what the expectation of equities and fixed income going in the future look like. Yeah, well, to our mind, equities, we shouldn't be expecting 20% for sure. Um, equities are, are obviously driven importantly by the underlying growth environment. Uh, that environment, we've said, was expected to be okay this year, and it has been. But as we go into 2022, growth is likely to slow. Um, and events like the resurgence of COVID risk that it slows quicker um, than, than most people currently think. But nonetheless, a slowing. And in the context of stretched equity valuations, you know, expected returns to equity as an asset class are going to be more modest next year, we think, and the year after that than we've seen recently. So I think we have to reset our expectations a little bit down into the low single digits for the time being. And then if you look at bonds, uh, agree, we're not looking for bonds to shoot the lights out, but we've seen a backup in yields. We've seen a drop in their price over the last few months. If growth is going to slow uh, by more than expected because of events like COVID, then that will lead to a rally in bonds. And there's an opportunity there in a multi-asset strategy, not necessarily a, a traditional portfolio, but a multi-asset strategy to, to deploy some risk into bonds. And that's what we've done. We're long Canadian sovereign bonds. We're long Australian sovereign bonds, for example. And of course, on a day like today, that, that's working quite well. What surprised you in 2021 so far? I think the big surprise was over the last couple of months, the, the extent to which the markets uh, embraced uh, policy tightening. So if you look at the, the Bank of Canada, for instance, about a month or two ago, the comments out of the Bank of Canada were very sanguine, steady as she go. Uh, and then the market suddenly switched on to the possibility of, uh, of more aggressive tightening. And we've now got about 125 basis points of rate increases for the Bank of Canada price for next year. And interestingly, the Bank of Canada hasn't sought to dampen that expectation. So that was a pretty violent move. Uh, and it certainly impacted the markets and, and surprised us. So that that was the big surprise in September and October. So let's just talk a little bit about the performance of the strategy this year. Um, the the multi-asset strategy is designed to produce a Canadian cash rate plus 5%. That's the target. Now, that's not a guarantee. Nobody has to hear that, but that's the target. So it, the strategy itself to year-to-date basis underperformed that target. I'd like you to speak a little bit about why that has happened and how, it's, how you're positioned going forward, given what your objective is. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a very good question. So we, we talked about the, the big surprise uh, to us in the markets, which was that aggressive repricing of central banks. And that had knock-on implications. It, it adversely affected 
um, quite a few of our positions in the emerging markets, for example. You know, when we look at emerging market equities, that's one area where valuations aren't particularly stretched. And so if you can identify uh, countries with strong long-term fundamentals, but also attractive shorter-term valuations, you should be out of profit there. But in a world where uh, central banks were aggressively repriced to tighten much quicker, you know, there was some fallout and that impacted EM equity markets and also inf impacted you know, some of the EM uh, bond markets as well. Um, so that was uh, the prime reason for uh, some of the give back in performance uh, that, that we've experienced in September, October. Up to that point, we were, we were pretty much bang in line with target. Um, so then how do we react to that? Well, you know, fundamentals in emerging markets are still strong. So we still think that that's a core piece of the puzzle to adding value to client portfolios in the Mars solution. Um, you know, some of those EM bond markets, they've got very high interest rates, but they've also got very cheap currencies. And you put those two together and that's, uh, that's a, a real opportunity for the long term. But it doesn't mean to say that you're always going to outperform. And at the moment, again, particularly with this resurgence of COVID, you know, we just need to step back a little bit, protect the portfolio before we fully engage with those opportunities. So it, it's been a lot about emerging markets, both being the, the big opportunity, but also being one of the losers from some of the risks we've seen just recently. Michael, I think a lot of individuals, maybe even some institutional money managers, have been lacking one big trait in this in, in this pandemic or even in the market in general, and that's patience. When you talk about emerging markets and the opportunities there, the valuations, in some cases there are parts of North American markets or North American equities that are, are overvalued uh, and there's better value other parts of the world. The one question that keeps on coming back from, uh, I think, retail investors specifically is, how long do I have to wait to see this actually come true? So when you talk about the word patience, uh, Michael, let's let's kind of go through and explain to to our our listeners and viewers about how long does does a manager in your in, in your in your fund have patience to have something work out? Uh, how long do they they wait for, or when do they actually cash their chips in and say, "I'm done. It's not working." Yeah, it, it's really important, and that that talks to risk management. You know making sure you've got positions that are consistent with the the outputs of your analysis so that you're not uh, you're not investing on emotion or on uh, bias but it's really well grounded positions so that's important and you know when you get a sell off that adversely affects performance it's important to go back and reevaluate your your analysis is it still correct if it's not then you need to be humble enough to take the chips off the table as you say cut risk um, if it is the right position then then it's again about risk management sometimes as i mentioned earlier you've got to step back a little bit 
you've got to reduce positions even though you keep hold of the core views in the portfolio. So again, that's something that we've been doing over the past couple of months. We have in the Mars strategy, we've got low risk at the moment. So we've kept our core positions, but we've dialed the size back because we recognize they're vulnerable. Uh, and so I think that's a, a key part. First of all, assess, continually assess. Are you uh, on the right track? And is your portfolio correctly positioned to, to win in the long term? But from one week to the next or one month to the next, have you got the right size of those positions giving, given how you're being buffeted by the market? So humility is a big deal and um, not falling in love with your positions, I think, is, uh, is really important. And Michael, what, let's just talk about more broadly based on a multi-asset strategy like yours. What place does it play in a, in a portfolio? Why, why, why would you have this kind of a strategy in a, in a, in a, uh, a portfolio itself? Yeah, well, I think there's a number of perspectives. Think about um, a bond-centric investor. They're probably looking at, you know, one and change as an expected return from a long-only bond portfolio. Um, Mars, the multi-asset strategy, Mars has similar volatility profile to uh, a bond portfolio. But as you were talking about, 5% plus cash is the expected return. So you're not uh, you're not impacting the the risk of the portfolio, but you're certainly enhancing the return um, from an equity centric uh, investor. Very diversifying because we're not just trading market trends. Um, so you get a very uh, competitive return relative to equities, but again, you get low volatility. So diversification is the key word there. So I think it fits, um, depending on your perspective, uh, your starting point, it can fit in a number of ways and also just give you a little bit of more flexibility to react to markets in a, in a more coherent way. So I think those are some of the ways that it adds to portfolios. Dave, I want to just kind of give a bit of an um, information tip to individuals who may look up this strategy or other multi-asset strategies. Um, usually um, when you look up a, a pool, a fund, uh, it gets compared to some sort of benchmark. Right. And if I look at the industry as a whole, multi-asset investments generally, generally get um, uh, measured against the stock market. Right. Which I think is unfair, no. completely unfair. Crazy, yeah. Right? Um, when you look at when an individual or a money manager is using a strategy like this, they need to know why they're buying it and what's the fund objective. So if we use this example of cash plus 5%. That's the benchmark, not the equity market. Because right. people will say, hey, I could have just bought the S&P 500 and we've done way better. Right. But that's not why you buy this fund. That's exactly if you right. want S&P 500, guess what you buy? S&P 500. Yeah, you don't buy a multi-asset investment to, right. to compare against. So I think when we're doing research, uh, when people are looking at these types of asset classes, they really need to know where does it fit in the portfolio and why would you buy it? Yeah. Uh, and those who are just going to pass on it because it's not doing as well as an asset class, pick whichever asset class you want, 
is not really looking at the true merits of this type of a, of a, of a fund. This is why we use multi-assets in our portfolio for different reasons than the conventional comparing to stocks or comparing it to bonds. Yeah, and, and I think Michael made a very good point that you can position this piece, this kind of a strategy in a number of different places. So strategically, where is it in the portfolio and why is it there? So it's, it's even a little bit more complex than saying, yes, there's a cash plus 5% benchmark, but what are we actually replacing when we're, when we're taking an alternative strategy like this? Right. What are we replacing? And so some further analysis against, if it's against the bond market, how is it performed relative to the bond market? And those two things will give you a pretty good idea if strategically you've got it positioned properly in the portfolio. Correct, correct. You know, Mike, I want to thank you for joining us today because the information that you give out on what's happening really helps individuals understand not only a multi-asset approach, but also the different ways to invest in the market because there's more than just one or two ways to do it. So, Michael, thank you for joining us today. Always a pleasure. Faisal, for all the recent volatility we've had, uh, over the past two years, i got to tell you, um, I don't think markets and portfolios were the number one concern that our clients had. No. Not through the pandemic. Not at all. Not at all. And in fact, what's growing concern as the economy changes, as this province changes their economy, um, here are the biggest concerns Top three. Okay, it's like Family Feud or something now, right? <laughs> okay, number three on the list. <laughs> number three on the list is uh, what's going to happen as I age. Right. Okay. So as people are aging um, and they start seeing things like long-term care facilities and home care and all this stuff happened in the pandemic, oh, what's going to happen to me? Number two uh, on the list is given everything that's happening, will I still have enough money to retire? But the number one concern that's now, according to our clients mm-hmm. at least, um, is not about them. No. It's about their children or family members. Yeah. And two sides of that. So the one side mm-hmm. is, I don't want to be a burden to my family members. Yep. As I age, if I need help, if I pass away, yep. um, oh my God, I don't want, I don't want them to experience uh, or feel like they're a burden. Yep. Uh, or I'm a burden to them. To them. Sorry. Yeah. The second part of it um, was I want to make sure that my family members are secure. They're okay. Lots of kids have lost their jobs. I'll give you an example. I ha- uh, I have been speaking to one of our clients, Dave, um, single, well-to-do. He's mm-hmm. got he's got enough cash. Um, but looks at his nieces and nephews and says, you know, this world is tough on them. Right. You know, they didn't, they didn't get all the same cards I got to play this game. Yep. So I want to help them. Right. Then we've got parents who are saying, hey, my, my children lost their jobs. The market's changed. House prices. Whatever, whatever it may yeah. be. Bring them into my house. Yep. Let them stay with me. Let me take care of them. Or they need to buy a home and the prices have gone up. I, I want to help them with that. Absolutely. Right? So helping your family members, worried about them, making sure that they have it. And there, there is proof behind that this, that the, the, the millennials of today make more money than the boomers did at that age. Indexed yep. to inflation. Yeah. Yep. Okay? So take, take the average 55-plus individual. When they were in their early 30s to early 40s, these millennials today are making more money on an inflation-adjusted basis versus the boomers are. Right. Okay. Here's the difference. The, what they can buy and afford has been completely changed. Right. 
and forget about Alberta market, think about Ontario and or British Columbia, yeah. you can see, or in the States, or yeah. in Europe, or wherever it may be, the concern for the children to have that quality of life, similar to, their, to them as parents, has been diminished. Yeah. And so the, the need or feeling to help, to the concern, they're worried about them. Yeah, yeah, they are. And sometimes they're making decisions, emotional decisions, right, uh, on either side. Um, I would say in some cases without proper planning and thinking it through, mm-hmm. right? So how do we help? Yeah, that's, that's where, you know, when, when we started collecting all this information and playing our version of Family Feud top three issues for our clients, <laughs> um, the one thing that, that we said to each other is we need to bring in more experts. We need well, to need help. To be, and they need to be broad-based, right? They need to be, this we're is not, not talking about, about their, finance. This is right. not about their financial situation. Right. right. This is what the name of the show is called, More Than Money. Yeah. This is what it's all about. It is definitely more than money. It's about family. That's right. It's about people who are important to them. Okay. Now you have people who are important to you. How do we, how do we as, as a Popovich Carmelli Advisory Group or PKAG, what can we do? We've just started our, our newest program with our clients. Yep. Um, this is for clients only, and it's called the PKAG Community. Right. What we've learned over the years when we used to, when we were hosting in-person conferences with our clients, we used to bring experts to them. Right. They would sit around uh, a conference room for a half a day or a full day, and they'd get different uh, experts speaking to them. They get a chance to talk to each other, learn from each other, and build community that way. Well, and what we found, let, let's call a spade a spade. We found when we first started running that years ago in that get-together format, right? that the real the, the true value went well beyond the expert. It yeah. went to do with the community of people sitting around. And I'll tell you, and I know you remember this, re- the very first one that we ran, yeah. we got a call a month later. This is the most striking, maybe one of the most striking moments in my career um, by a, a, a woman who said, listen, I was sitting at a table, there happened to be eight, four couples, and out of luck, all these four couples had aging parents. You remember that? Yes, yes, I do. And it was primarily the women's responsibility at this table to help take care of that aging, their aging parents. And we got this call to say, can you put a support group together? I found it incredibly valuable. Till this day, <clears throat> they're still speaking to each other, right. working with each other on how to take care of their that's parents. That's the value of a community. That's 10 years later, Dave. That's right. So that's community on a micro level. We yeah. want to grow that for, right. for our, our clients and so forth so that they can have the same type of conversations. Now, given where we are, we do a bunch of them um, either virtually or in person when we can. But the objective, of, again, is not it's not just about the money. It's not stocks and bonds. It's about the things that are important to people. Right. And educating in those areas. Right. What are the options? What can you do? What shouldn't you do? Learn from people's experiences. Yeah. How, how have you... Dave, you, you know, you're, you're seven years my senior. Yep. And you say Thanks one line that. to me. Hey, I'll remind you every time. <laughs> Uh, you, you say one thing to me almost on a weekly basis. I drives you crazy. Look into your future, Faisal. Yeah. You're going to experience what I'm experiencing. Right. And I hate it that you're right all the time. Okay? I, my knees hurt when I get out of bed. I did nothing all day. Damn it, Papa, when she was right. You know? I had to move my phone, you know, 12 feet away from my face because now my eyes are changing. Damn it, Papa, when you were right. But you've experienced this, so the community that you and I have is how you can help me or mentor me through the things that you've gone through in life that I can, that well, you actually can see happening in mine. But when you're going through it together at the same time, right? And people are in different parts of that journey. 
how much help and support there is. What's that community? That that approach is very important. Yep. So I'm glad that on Monday we get to host this for our clients. It's more than just bringing experts in. It's building yep. that conversation. It's it's facilitating relationships. It's facilitating that community to help each other. And we know that when you get into becoming a retirement transition specialist, it's more than just the money. It's about the experiences and lifestyle of the people. Yep. And there's a collective wisdom. A community means a collective wisdom, right? And I think that's what... Um, that's what people have to recognize, that it builds, you feed on each other. It builds, it builds momentum. Ideas build momentum, right? The relationships build momentum, all of those things. We've seen it. We're going to try to grow and expand that, yep. right? Magnified in all of the different areas that are critical yeah. for people to have this thing we call retirement, the experience that we just kind of flippantly call retirement. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a, a destination, not a right. journey, right? right? So I think when you look at the key issue of taking care of your family members or not being a burden on them. We have, there's some financial stuff for sure. There's some legal stuff you have to figure out, but what's the true intentions and wishes of the family, of the individual? And how, what does a burden mean right. to you? Because what a burden to you is different than a burden to me. Correct, absolutely. How you would want to care for your, your two daughters as they uh, go through their life would probably be different how I want to. The meaning of the value system that we have, that right. we share, is going to be similar so we can discuss it, but there's more than one or two ways to handle these problems. Having collective ideas, collective approaches, and more importantly, collective solutions. Yeah, and, and I, think, I think that's really key. So although, although we kicked this off Monday, uh, you know, this discussion around being a burden with kids, I think it's, it's really important that we go back and reference what you said. What are we, 12 years in, on this show now, right? Yep. I think it's been 12 called it more than money 12 years ago, looking into the future, what did we see? What we saw was that this is gonna be, your experience you call retirement mm -hmm. is gonna be way more than the money. It's gonna be a lifestyle. Yep. It's gonna be a series of choices that will uh, result in experiences and it's gonna go just beyond you, yeah. right? Just beyond the individual. So if you wanna be part of the PKAG community, you gotta find a person who's a client of PKAG <laughs> and have them invite you in, because that's the only way you can get into yeah. the, com the community. Uh, so we, we, we would say, if you wanna know about these discussions and these programs that we're gonna have every single month and you wanna be part of it, um, find a PKAG client and, yeah. and get your name on that list so you could participate, because that's the only way, if you're not a client, you can get in. But there is a way you can learn about how to bulletproof your retirement. There is a way you can learn about profit and protecting in all these different market uh, situations. And we're gonna talk about that to the public on Tuesday, December 7th, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register for this. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. Well, thanks very much for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. On behalf of Faisal and myself, Dave, we look forward to chatting with you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. 
David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.